Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Seeing Red, a true crime podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Bethan. Thank you for joining us once again, everybody. And before Here we, we go s- again. Here we go again. And Love um, interrupting you at the beginning. You do, don't you? It's very <laughs> awkward. Before we kick off this week's episode, which I feel like is going to be a really, really tough listen, shall we do a nice bit and say a huge thank you to our Patreon supporters? Go on. So, a huge thank you to our newest Patreon supporters who are... Graham Large, Cassie McRae, Whitney, and Rob Hampton. Thank you very much. And huge thanks to our existing Patreon supporters too. If you would like to join these people, all you need to do is head over to patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. On the 20th of May in 2020, Eleanor Williams, a 20-year-old woman from Barrow in Furness, a port town in Cumbria in England, started typing out a lengthy post on Facebook. The content of the post was chilling from the get-go, and Bethan's going to do the honours. It read, This is the hardest post I'm ever going to write. I didn't want to share this because I'm scared of the judgement that will come with it. It's why I keep quiet about what's happened to me, but people have asked me to tell my story. When people have asked why I have a black eye or bruises, I've made every excuse, from falling over to banging it on a door. Yesterday, I was put into the back of a car, taken to an address to have sex with three Asian men. Afterwards, I was beaten because I was in debt to these men for not attending parties for over seven weeks due to a coronavirus. The organisers of the party decided to beat me to teach me a lesson. The post went on with Eleanor, or Ellie as she was called by friends and family, describing her abusers as evil yet clever men who know how to manipulate, convince and threaten girls into staying and failing that they use extreme violence. She said, I used to believe that these people loved me. I realise now that they use me for their own gain and profit. They have given me drugs to the point I was nearly addicted to heroin. They have stripped me naked, beaten me and dumped me in the middle of nowhere with nothing. I mean nothing. No money, phone, ID, clothes, shoes, nothing. They have broken my ribs, cut my throat, carved words into my body, stabbed me, burnt me and beaten me black. They have put lit petrol rags and threatening letters through my letterbox. They have followed me home, tried to drown me, strangled me, and they have stalked me. They have had guns they have waved around and held to my head. They have abused me in every way possible. I thought the only way I could escape this life was to marry one of them, get pregnant, or kill myself. Ellie then went on to describe how over a number of years she had been trafficked to Manchester, parts of Yorkshire, Lancashire and Cumbria in order to attend various other parties where she'd been forced to have sex under the threat of violence with Asian men. 
She even claimed to have been trafficked to Ibiza and Amsterdam for the same sexual exploitation purposes. She detailed how her abusers were mostly Pakistani men and some were wealthy business owners too. Ellie wrote in her post that she had gone to the police to report the allegations, but that that had only made her life worse and evoked further violence from the traffickers. She said, My world completely turned upside down, and I was a grass, and it's been so hard dealing with all these beatings, making excuses and covering things up. As well as opening up about her own traumatic experiences with the gang, Ellie claimed that she was not the only young woman in Barrow who had suffered at their evil hands, and she urged others who had been victims of abuse to come forward to her or to the police. And Ellie finished her lengthy post by writing... I will get the justice I deserve and I will be so proud of myself. I want to encourage any other girls to go to the police and speak and also remind them that this isn't a normal life. To further emphasise the suffering she had endured, Ellie, I'm going to call her Ellie, I know that's her friends and family, but she was mostly called Ellie. Ellie also attached 20 extremely disturbing images to that post, which displayed the horrific injuries that had been inflicted upon her by her assailants. The images showed Ellie's battered and bruised face with a black eye that had been completely swollen shut and other images showed large and deep bruises on various parts of her body and deep cuts to her fingers, throat and feet along with several other painful looking injuries that were just too numerous to count. Ellie Williams then clicked the submit button and the post instantly went live and I don't think Ellie or anyone could have anticipated what happened next. Within hours, it had gone viral and had been shared upwards of a 100,000 times across several social media platforms. Devastating chain of events was now set in motion that would see all hell break loose. But before we get to that, let's take a moment to hear from this week's show sponsor. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform that will help you to start, run and grow your business. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionising millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're selling candles or cupcakes, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can successfully grow your business and focus on your customers. Covering all of your sales channels from a shopfront ready point of sale system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, Shopify even gets you selling across social media marketplaces like Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. And it's full of the industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth. Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without learning new skills in design or coding. And thanks to 24-7 help with an extensive business course library, Shopify is ready to support your success every step of the way. What's great about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow your business, they will be there every step of the way to empower you with the confidence and control to take your business to the next level. It's time to get serious about selling and get Shopify today. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for your £1 per month trial period at shopify.co.uk slash seeingred and that's all in lowercase. Go to shopify.co.uk slash seeingred to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.co.uk slash seeingred. Eleanor Williams was born and raised by her mother, Alison Johnston, and her stepfather. She had one older sister and one younger brother. Ellie's family lived on a quiet street on Warney Island, an affluent area just off Barrow and Furness. Neighbours would later describe the family as entirely normal, and they said that Eleanor was a pleasant and smiley yet shy young lady. 
Ellie's school years were relatively normal. She was an above average student and she had lots of friends. However, it is understood that she would often exhibit some moderately strange behaviour. She was known to skip lessons from time to time and she also suffered from extreme mood swings. But her teachers just kind of chalked that up to Ellie being a teenager struggling with adolescence. As far as we know, there was nothing strange or unusual about Ellie's upbringing. She came from a nice and entirely normal and well-adjusted family. Now, keep that in mind as we go on, because that makes the events that follow all the more astonishing. It is, it's just such a crazy case. And I just thought I would say, you know, some odd behaviour, mood swings, not wanting to go to class all the time. They are so normal, even though they're not what you... Um, you know like what teachers would expect of a child or of a student and what you would hope that you wouldn't have to deal with but it's definitely every teenager surely um I I think we've all we've all had moments of doing something that's a bit weird that our parents probably looked at us and thought it was odd I think that's a rite of passage and otherwise yeah just completely it's such a rubbish word isn't it to use but completely normal Yeah, and I I hesitated to use the term moderately strange behaviour because you're absolutely right, she was a teenager. She was doing things that teenagers do, which is act out, skip school and, yeah, just kind of seek attention, really. So, yeah, typical teenager stuff. And um, it does make what follows all the more bizarre because I won't give any spoilers yet. We talked about this case on an episode of Crime Wave Mm -hmm. a few months ago which is when I first came across it. And I thought we've got to cover this on the main show. Um, but yeah, it's, it is bizarre, strange, cruel behaviour that we see later in her life and nothing in her childhood really alludes to that. So I think that's what makes it so interesting for, for me in particular. In May 2019, with the support of her mother and stepfather, Ellie moved out of the family home and began renting an apartment alone in the local area. It's understood that Ellie was experiencing some emotional problems around this time and the intent of the move was to give Ellie her own space to work through her problems. However, this didn't actually have the desired effect. Well, see, that is such a shame, but you would think maybe to have the the support of your family might be what someone would need more. But you'd want, maybe you would think, have some space and that might be the right thing for you. That was my immediate go-to. I thought, no, you know, she's young, she needs to stay within that family home. But actually, we've seen it before. I think we saw it with with Rosie Boxall. I think she'd moved out, a a case we talked about a a long time ago. Um, And yeah, sometimes I think people do just need their own space and that can be a bit younger than the average person that they need that. But sadly, it, it didn't have that desired effect. Before long, Ellie was mixing with some very unsavoury people and she began drinking to excess and abusing drugs like marijuana and cocaine. And just like Bethan, Ellie's drink and drug binges (laughs) would often last for days. I couldn't help myself, obviously. Mm. And her lifestyle and behaviour became increasingly reckless and risky, which is definitely you, isn't it? Not anymore, I'm mother, Mark. (laughs) I know you're very sensible. We've had a couple of episodes in a row now where we've been a bit mean. People love it though. 
Um, Ellie was promiscuous and irresponsible and she'd often call her friends and family to come and pick her up after she'd woken up half naked in some random's bed next to someone she'd just met the night before. No judgement here but you know she was out enjoying herself but mixing with the wrong people and certainly yeah going on days long benders of drink and drugs and getting into all sorts of escapades. During her benders, Ellie would often disappear and not show up at her apartment for days and days. She was reported missing by her mother a total of 32 times in the space of just 12 months. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is crazy, isn't it? 32 times. Each time she would leave without a word, only to show up again a few days later, offering no explanation as to where she'd been or what she'd been doing. And of course, Ellie did find herself on the police's radar from quite an an early age, really. Um, But they more regarded her as a vulnerable and troubled young woman rather than a troublemaker, if that makes sense. So she wasn't on the police's radar because they were consistently picking her up for stealing or... No. anything like that it, they were she was on their radar because her mum had reported her missing that many times exactly and, you know she was exhibiting these quite worrying behaviors mm-hmm. yeah and th- there are a couple of other reasons why she was on their radar which we will come to later on mm-hmm. so when ellie wrote her damning facebook post in may 2020 the country was in the grip of lockdown and at its very peak with coronavirus tensions up and down the country were already running high the public's frustration and mistrust in the government's messy handling of the pandemic were at a peak. So naturally, the ramifications of Ellie's claims that a sexual exploitation gang were operating freely in Barrow were, understandably, enormous. Everyone who saw that post was affected in some way. Even the most apathetic of souls were consumed with emotion at what they read. Oh, I remember seeing the post and just being absolutely shocked. Just just really really shocked and appalled and it was just quite an incredible thing to to read and and to kind of when you looked at it it was it was just I can't think of another word other than shocking it was horrendous and and the accompanying 20 or so photographs Ellie had uploaded with it they were just horrific you know Mm -hmm. really truly shocking photographs of injuries that she'd sustained particularly facial injuries so when I said earlier that her her eye had been basically sort of you know so swollen that it was completely glued shut and it was also incredibly brave of her to come forward and wave her anonymity but I think we all just thought oh my god you know here we go again this is another Rotherham grooming gang once again this is happening in plain sight and nothing's been done about it this girl is so desperate for somebody to take her seriously that she's now had to upload this post to Facebook to get yeah. the attention of the authorities so I think we were all so disappointed girl A hadn't we me and you yeah and yeah you do have that kind of feeling of like oh god like again yeah it really was particularly I think because we were in lockdown and you know the pandemic was a big deal but we were consuming news like never before and yeah this story just gathered so much momentum across social media of course but also in the national press. So, of course, most of the UK population expressed their shock and sympathy for Ellie 
a young girl who had been abused and exploited in the worst ways imaginable. And they applauded her for having the courage to come forward and speak her truth for the good of others. And quickly, a GoFundMe was set up to aid Ellie in her family's recovery and to finance legal representation for her. And the fund soon reached almost £22,000. And the hashtag Justice for Ellie began to trend on social media. Others expressed anger that these traffickers had been so brazen about their illegal activities and people very much criticised the police for their alleged failure to prevent something so heinous from happening, likening Ellie's situation to the Rotherham child sexual exploitation scandal that occurred in South Yorkshire between the late 80s and 2007. The fact that Ellie's alleged traffickers were, according to her, of Asian descent immediately added a highly sensitive racial element to this scandal. And I kind of hesitate using the word scandal at this point because, you know, it's a horrific crime that she has reported. Far-right activists disregarded lockdown rules and gathered in Barrow for organised protests, demanding accountability from within the Islamic community. Even Tommy Robinson, the former leader of the far-right group the English Defence League, turned up in Barrow claiming to be a journalist investigating the case. And I think that's when it came to my attention. I remember seeing news footage of him. I'll be careful what I say, but really sort of whipping up the crowds in Barrow with his own agenda. Within just a few days of Ellie's post being published, she had the entire nation backing her. The UK public were riled up and thirsty for justice. A young woman had been trafficked and raped and now heads needed to roll. By now the Cumbria police force were involved with the growing scandal and they reached out to Ellie and began working with her. Officers were dispatched to her apartment to take a detailed statement about her allegations. Ellie's statement was nothing short of horrific. She claimed that she had been groomed since the age of 12 or 13 by a local business owner named Mohammed Ramzan. According to Ellie, Ramzan trafficked her across the region and coerced her into having sex with other men. Refusal wasn't an option for Ellie, and failure to meet Ramzan's orders would always be met with severe consequences. Ellie described her various punishments and said she was regularly raped and subjected to vicious beatings. She also described watching another female victim nearly dying because of a savage beating and another woman having a vicious dog set upon her by the gang. This is just truly horrific stuff. And you can imagine it. You can imagine depraved people setting a vicious dog on a, a woman who has probably just been raped, gang raped by multiple men. Uh, as a way of controlling her and keeping her yeah because we we you know we're we do a lot of cases where just the worst happens and it's horrendous and you don't want to ever think it could happen but then we've heard of as bad of worse of similar like it's just yeah you could imagine this there's multiple cases that spring to my mind that we have covered where it's just barbaric torture that's been inflicted on on victims. So it's kind of like nothing surprises us. And that's not just us. That's people that consume true crime through podcasts, through the media, and just the general public who watch the news and read the newspaper. They're yeah, going to see stuff like this and believe this it. And they did. Yeah, absolutely. Ellie also told the police she had been taken to Amsterdam by Ramzan and forced to work in a brothel. She said he had even tried to sell her at an auction for €25,000, but that the buyer didn't go through with the deal. And again, I remember that being a truly shocking factor in this, that, you know, we're, we're talking about 
sex slaves being sold on a black market. And again, the thought of that is just petrifying, but it does happen. Not long after getting back from Amsterdam, Ellie said she had been abducted again by Ramzan and this time taken to Ibiza, where she was again made to have sex with multiple men for Ramzan's personal financial gain. And this guy was driving a Porsche around Barrow at the time. Ellie backed up her claims by showing the police pages and pages of social media messages from Ramzan and various other members of his gang that appeared to allude to their guilt. An immediate investigation into Ellie's claims was launched and the public were optimistic that justice might just be done and might be done pretty quickly in this case. However, what the public didn't know was that things were not as they seemed. There was a shocking twist in this story. Ellie wasn't being investigated as a victim, but as a suspect. The police knew from the get-go that literally all of Ellie's trafficking claims were complete and utter bullshit but they had a professional obligation to investigate them anyway. The police had been keeping a file on Ellie Williams for years, and she was known to them as a compulsive liar with a notorious reputation for making up false rape claims. The first false allegation was made by Ellie in 2016, when she was just 16 years old. She had been with a small group of friends at a house belonging to 21-year-old Cameron Bibby. Ellie had become sick after drinking alcohol and smoking cannabis, Out of concern for her welfare, Mr Bibby and his friends had contacted Ellie's mother, who came to collect her and take her to hospital. Once there, Ellie claimed to a nurse that she'd been raped. The police were called in and Cameron Bibby was arrested and charged with rape. However, in January 2018, Ellie withdrew her support for the prosecution and the case was thrown out. So, you know, that is sort of a year and a half in from that initial allegation being made in 2016 against Cameron Bibby. And she has cooperated with the investigation and then suddenly doesn't about turn and refuses to help the prosecution and the CPS with this. But Cameron Bibby has been through hell for that whole time. The second false rape allegation occurred in March 2019, after Ellie had been on a night out with a 19-year-old man named Jordan Trengove. Halfway through the evening, Ellie, who had consumed a large amount of alcohol, became ill. Mr Trengove took her home and left her there. The following day, Ellie told a work colleague that Mr Trengove had later broken into her flat as she slept and raped her at knife point. Ellie's colleague was horrified and contacted the police on her behalf. Jordan Trengove was arrested and would ultimately spend 73 days locked up on remand pending trial. However, as had been the case with her previous allegation against Cameron Bibby, Ellie eventually refused to cooperate with any prosecution. The police decided to investigate her claims regardless and soon discovered that Mr Trengove had a rock-solid alibi because after dropping Ellie off at her flat, he'd returned to town and rejoined his friends. He'd later spent the night with a woman he'd met in a bar. CCTV and witness statements from all parties confirmed his account and proved beyond doubt that he was innocent and the matter was promptly dropped. And I I don't know what or if any action was taken against Ellie at this point. I don't think any action was taken because ultimately she's made allegations and then just said, "I'm I'm not willing to testify in a court. I'm not willing to continue with the prosecution. She wasn't saying I've made this up and I've lied. The police are suspecting that, but they have no evidence of that. And that's kind of normal, isn't it, for a rape victim to get so far in bringing their perpetrator to justice and then just 
just at the last hurdle, just saying, I'm I'm done. I'm having a breakdown. I can't go anymore. I know we're at the final hurdle, but I cannot do it. And I think that's what was at play, you know, outwardly from her. It's so frustrating, though, because there are so, so often women don't, well, any victim of rape doesn't, you know, they don't feel that they're able in the majority of cases that they don't feel like they're supported enough anyway when they go to the police or yeah. with getting a prosecution. And then you've got some scumbag like this, just adding fuel to that fire of, well, she may have made it up when somebody does come forward with a, with a real allegation of rape. And it's just disgraceful that a woman is then doing this and you're you're really, really damaging any other woman who wants to try and come forward about something that they've been a victim of because you're doing that thing that so many people would want to say on social media well you know is it is it really a rape case or not and it's just so it makes me so angry when these people then kind of afterwards it comes out that they definitely definitely lied and obviously on the surface yeah she just has got so far and doesn't want to take it any further that doesn't you know for Mr. Bibby at the beginning, well, she's just dropped it. That happens in a lot of cases. A lot of people would still believe he was completely guilty. This is the issue because it's not, he's not had his day in court either. And yeah, she's just withdrawn her cooperation with bringing this to prosecution. And the CPS know without her testimony in court, they're not going to secure a conviction so you know they're not going to bring it to trial and yeah the damage that ellie did in bringing about these false claims is is just untold you know Mm. it's probably reverberates to this very day i would have thought and you know mr trengove he's been in prison for over 70 days no matter what like you've come out and you've been able to prove your innocence you still had to go through that Mm. yeah People will always say there's no smoke without fire. They're not going to listen to the intricacies of your alibi. You know, it's, yeah, it's really difficult. And there was actually a third individual, Mm -hmm. a man named Oliver Gardner, that uh, endured having a false claim made about him. So um, his only mistake was to approach Ellie on the street during a night out to ask her for a lighter. After chatting casually for just a few minutes, the pair parted ways. The following day, Ellie told a friend that Mr Gardner had followed her home and raped her. However, CCTV footage proved beyond doubt that Mr Gardner had never been anywhere near Ellie's flat at the time. So that was pretty quickly proven to not have been true. Thank goodness for that, for yeah. him. Um, but I suppose maybe Ellie kind of twisted that as in, you know, I was drunk or, you know, somebody followed me and I was raped by someone. I don't know. I don't know what exactly happened. But yeah, she was getting away with it. These three well-documented cases of Ellie blatantly lying about being raped alluded to the strong possibility that she was up to her old tricks again. However, it was still entirely possible that she was telling the truth this time, so the police continued on with their investigation and decided to take a closer look at Ellie's story and also the movements of her alleged abuser, Mohammed Ramzan. 
Mr. Ramzan, known affectionately in his local community as Mo Rami, which I loved. Was That's a really cute. <laughs> isn't that great? Was a successful businessman who owned several restaurants, ice cream vans and rental properties in the town. He had no criminal record whatsoever and had a reputation as a decent and community minded individual. And I've seen him be interviewed and he is just a lovely guy, a genuine, lovely guy who puts loads back into the community. Ramzan was arrested under caution on the street in broad daylight, accused of modern slavery and human trafficking, and dragged him for questioning. He categorically denied any kind of wrongdoing and told the police that he barely even knew who Ellie was, explaining that he'd only met her once in his life, briefly, at a family party. Proving his innocence was effortless. On one of the days that Ellie had supposedly been trafficked over to Amsterdam by Ramzan, he was able to provide the police with sales receipts and CCTV footage of him visiting a B&Q store in Barrow. And this meant it was impossible for him to have been in Amsterdam on the day that Ellie claimed he was. Furthermore, a brief collaboration with authorities in the Netherlands uncovered that Ellie had been to Amsterdam, but that she had checked into a hotel with her sister and her sister's boyfriend. There was precisely zero evidence that Ramzan had been present at any point during her stay. The police then moved on to Ellie's claims that Ramzan had taken her to Blackpool to be sexually exploited. Once again, they found no evidence that Ramzan had been to Blackpool during that time frame. Instead, they found strong evidence that Ellie had travelled to the seaside resort alone. And after buying a pot noodle from a nearby shop, that she had spent most of her time in her hotel room watching YouTube videos. Ellie's claims of being taken to Ibiza also turned out to be untrue, and this line of inquiry was soon dropped. Data from Ellie's passport revealed that she had actually never been to Ibiza in her entire life. It's it's, it's sad, really, isn't it? It's so pathetic. It's, but I think, it's, yeah. it's not sad and pathetic because it's it's evil, and what she's done is 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 going to have ramifications for anybody who even looks at that post, let alone has someone accused you know who's, who yeah. is accused of something that is but all of this is just ridiculous i there's a brilliant documentary uh that was shown on bbc one earlier this year you can probably still get it on iplayer i can't remember what it's called but if you google this whole case and bbc you'll probably find it and it's only about 20 minutes or half an hour but it, it sort of it shows the CCTV footage of Ellie checking into that hotel in Blackpool on her own. It shows her in the the shop buying a pot noodle and then taking that back to the room, you know, to have that. And to be honest, there's a tiny bit of me, which I do sometimes get like this, don't I? But there's a tiny bit of me that just really feels sorry for her because she'd gone up there. She knew what she was doing. She'd gone there stayed on her own, having this sad little pot noodle on her own in a room, cooking up these ludicrous allegations that she was going to make. You know, there's desperate reasons for that, aren't there? There's got to be something, but I don't feel sorry for her because Mm. I feel like there's plenty of other ways to get some attention um, or to do something. I just... I get what you're saying completely in that there has to be something sitting behind this. When it's somebody who's just evil and they go and they attack somebody, that's very different. But but I don't know, for me, I do kind of feel like it's just, she doesn't really, I don't give her any of my sympathy. I don't really feel any sympathy for her because there's 
there's plenty of opportunities. I'm sure somebody will have sat her down at any of the three fake rape claims and told her, you know, this is what you have done to this person from the fact that you've done this. I'm sure the police will have said to her, we have proven that this didn't happen. Even if she didn't get any sort of prosecution for any of this, like somebody will have said to her and she's then chosen to just continue on in this path and then to go even further. And I I will come on to uh, the psychiatrist is involved a bit later on. I will talk about their take on this, but it's kind of limited. So I will talk about that. But at least we're consistent because, yeah, you're you always have that sort of rational approach and I always get swayed a little bit in, you in some of these softy, cases. You are just a really, aren't you, Mark? I think I am. Yeah, I always <laughs> have been. Yeah. Um, the question remained, though, if Ellie was indeed lying about everything, then how did she end up with such severe injuries all over her body? Well, it later emerged that the police had been deeply sceptical about these injuries right from the beginning. A pathologist who reviewed Ellie's injuries noted that there were several peculiarities with the shape and location of the injuries. All of the injuries were in areas that were reachable with Ellie's right hand, but nowhere else. And there were some other pathologically type sort of irregularities that were identified. Oh, with, that with sounds being, scientific. There you go. With <laughs> it being conducive with, with, with what, what they would see on, on somebody who's been harmed. No, I themselves. know what you mean, yeah. Two days before Ellie had written her infamous Facebook post claiming to be a victim of some abhorrent crimes, she'd been discovered by a police officer lying in the middle of a field, apparently having just been beaten up with severe and extensive injuries all over her body. When the police found her, Ellie claimed that she'd earlier been picked up by a member of Ramzan's gang and taken to a property in Barrow where Ramzan and 10 other men were lying in wait for her. She claimed that she was then savagely beaten and gang raped before being driven to the field and dumped. To the surprise of absolutely no one at this point, the police found evidence that went directly against her story. This time it was a hammer found in the same field that had Ellie's DNA on it. Further investigation led detectives to discover CCTV of Ellie buying the hammer herself from a local Tesco store just two weeks prior. But what about the social media messages that Ellie had offered to the police as proof that she had been trafficked? Well, unsurprisingly, cybercrime experts from Cumbria Police soon discovered that literally all of the social media profiles belonging to her alleged abusers did not belong to them at all. They were all fake, and the messages had been composed and fabricated by someone else, most likely Ellie herself. This theory was later proven to be correct when the police discovered that Ellie owned a secret second phone which she'd been using to send and receive messages to and from her own personal phone. And there were sort of reams and reams of pages of transcripts of messages. This would have taken ages. This was an industry. It was a full-time job. This is absolutely calculating. It's so calculated. And creating these fake profiles that looked plausible and then, you know, these exchanges that would go on and on and on, um, corroborating the allegations that she made. You know, this is just, it's beyond hours and hours and hours of work on her part. It, it would have been like a job. Where did she get the time for this? Honestly, I can barely keep my own life on track, let alone have some two different phones with different profiles. and tra- Absolutely ridiculous. 
Yeah, I sometimes just, I haven't even got time for like basic stuff sometimes. Sometimes um, I can't write back to you and it's a really simple question and I'm like, just give me, just I'll reply later. <laughs> yeah, I, I always think that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it does show a level of obsession though, because this mm-hmm. would have consumed her, this campaign and uh, quest for attention and validation, whatever it was she was looking for. But I think it would have consumed her. And it, yeah, she would have probably been up to the small hours sending those messages, reveling in, in what she was creating and building. The police were by now absolutely convinced of Ramzan's innocence. But unfortunately for him, it was too late. By this stage, someone from within the police had leaked the names of the suspects to the media. The word was out and the damage was done. Social media blew up with rumours of a trafficking ring and Ramzan's windows were smashed. Tenants of his rental properties moved out, fearing for their own safety. Friends of Ramzan's were labelled enablers and their houses were targeted with bricks and eggs. Ramzan's Porsche was also vandalised on multiple occasions. His customers also turned against him and boycotted his businesses, which directly caused him to declare himself bankrupt. The successful life that he had spent his entire life building was forever destroyed in a matter of weeks at the hands of Ellie. And it's so frustrating because I do, I do genuinely believe that a victim should be believed and listened to. So I agree that anything she posted needed to be investigated. But it's the fact then that someone in the police has leaked the names that feels so wrong because I I get it with you know you should potentially name somebody because then other victims may come forward and I get Mm. that but when it's just the investigation at the very beginning those names should not be out his his name shouldn't have been mentioned until there was more of an investigation had been done and I do find it interesting that it wasn't that Ellie had leaked the you know Ellie hadn't named and shamed them in a post in this Facebook post she didn't give the names so that's interesting because I was thinking she targeted them to to cause this, but maybe this was almost it went it got too far out of hand. She expected it to be similar to the previous three times, maybe, and didn't think that it would be shared. Did you say it was a hundred thousand times this thing had been reposted within yeah. a, few, a day or whatever? So maybe she didn't quite grasp how far this would go and how big it could get I I think that's it I think that's definitely the case she didn't envisage that it would go viral and be leapt upon and other people then getting involved in and sort of tailoring it to their own agenda so yeah it did it was a frenzy was whipped up and I suppose it was just such a unique time because it was in the middle of our first lockdown it was a crazy time people had no control over aspects pretty much all aspects of their lives and this was a way of I don't know acting out or taking out your frustrations with the government uh taking them out somewhere where you could take them out if that makes sense um yeah it was just a a unique time that Mm. I suppose she couldn't have anticipated that it would have gone as far as it did but that's no excuse Cameron Bibby Oliver Gardner and Jordan Trengove the three other men who had been falsely accused of raping Ellie Williams were also targeted Mr Trengove was ostracized by members of his local community and shunned by friends and family Mr. Bibby had the word pedo spray painted on the front door of his flat. 
to quell the torrent of abuse that Ramzan, Trengove, Gardiner and Bibi were being subjected to, the police actually held a press conference just to stress that none of them were suspects in any kind of crime and they categorically denied the rumours of a sex trafficking ring. However, this did very little to change anything and the nightmare continued for them. The stress of the deeply traumatic ordeal took a devastating toll on Mr Ramzan's mental health and two months later he attempted suicide. Ramzan, Trengove, Gardner and Bibi were not the only victims of Ellie's disgusting lies however. Far-right nationalists who had flooded into Barrow to protest against a made-up scandal began targeting the local Islamic community as a whole – Muslim residents who had absolutely nothing to do with the case were chased down the street and had vile racist insults hurled at them. A local curry house had a brick thrown through its window and a mosque was vandalised. It was just just, carnage there. It's awful to go from being, what was his name, Um, Mo, Mo Rami, to the point where he's literally feeling like he has no other option but to take his own life. I mean... The, the fact that his tenants were leaving and his businesses then folded and all of that from her. His whole life has come crashing um, down. Fortunately. It, I just, yeah, like his, his little, like, like you said, when you see him, pictures of him, when you see him being interviewed, like he just looks lovely and I just picture his face, just this nice man. And then, yeah, like people who, you, you can almost understand it that you would, want to distance yourself from somebody because they've been accused of this. But they're the people who aren't even anything to do with it because of their religion. Yeah, yeah. And I just make it clear, fortunately, uh, Mohammed Ramzan wasn't successful in his attempt to take his own life. So uh, mm-hmm. he wasn't successful with that. But the, he was at rock bottom and that was the only way that he saw at that time, which is just so incredibly sad. And there, there could have been a really different outcome there. He could have been successful and Ellie would have absolutely had blood on her hands then. Cumbria Police recorded 151 crimes linked to the case in 2020 alone, including malicious communications and harassment, as well as criminal damage and public order offences. The normal rate of recorded hate crimes tripled in Barrow that summer. How mad is that? You know, we've got a statistic like that, which is Ellie is responsible for. She is so those crimes tripled because of what she'd done. Because I'm not going to. I'm in no way going to defend what the people who use their own agenda kind of what they did but however I can understand because if you genuinely feel that those you know your racist beliefs are you know they're their beliefs and that's what they genuinely think and then you do believe that this person is the victim of something it is going to fuel you and think make you think you know what I am right I am right to believe this this is correct we are seeing the same thing that we've seen before and it's the same thing again on all of this and you can understand why why they then would say, do you know what, this is proving our point. But that is, I mean, tripled yeah. in and y- the you're summer right. as well, tripled in, the, in that small space of time based off of this one woman and her lie. Like, what the fuck? And you're right about those far-right extremists, for example. They were hoodwinked by Ellie and her lies, and I'm not absolutely not sticking up for them. But you are right. They would have just thought, yeah, this is, we are right. All along we were right, and we need the whole country to know that. So we're going to go up to Barrow, and we're going to um, get our message out there, and this backs up our message. So, yeah, again, you know, a huge amount of civil unrest, uh, <laughs> you know, all at the hands of Ellie. and. 
the allegations that she'd made. The evidence against Ellie's story was now absolutely overwhelming. There was absolutely zero doubt that Ellie had once again lied to the police and fabricated several nonsensical stories about being raped. Nothing of what Ellie had told the police was true. It was all a complete lie and the injuries she had suffered were 100% self-inflicted. Ellie was so desperate for attention that she had bought a hammer and battered herself black and blue with it. In the process, she had mercilessly laid waste to the lives and reputations of four entirely innocent men and caused untold misery to several others. And, you know, I just want to pick up on that point there. She had bought this hammer from a Tesco and literally beat herself black and blue because those photos are shocking. The injuries that she had caused to herself are truly shocking when you see them. And she'd done that. And that was all part of her lie and her campaign to get attention. How desperate was she? It's awful, isn't it? It's you know, it's one thing to make up these lies, but she's she's genuinely thought to herself, "I need photos to back this up." Yeah, and I'm not just going to do half fast. Yeah, it's like I remember when we covered Tracy Andrews and Lee Harvey, the road rage case. I think Tracy Andrews, you know, she might have had a split lip or something because she she falsely claimed that they'd been attacked by somebody out in the roads of Alve Church in Worcestershire and um, roads that I've been on very recently, actually, went right past where it happened. Um, and she'd sort of done a bit of a half-assed attempt of, oh, shit, and, you know, they've stabbed my fiancé, that's what I'm saying, so I, I need to show that I've been at least hit. So she's done a bit of a half-assed attempt and split a lip. Um, because she's thought, well, it needs to be a bit plausible, but equally, I don't really want to hurt myself because that's well, also because it's quite hard to really hurt yourself as well. Like that is your body will automatically try not to. But Ellie's do fucking what gone you're doing. balls she's deep on gone it. To tell on herself, yeah. Because you look at, um, I can't remember what her name was. There, was. there was like some massive court case. I can't remember the woman's name, but where she'd, it was quite clear that she'd used makeup to try and fake things because there were also photos of her that same night that other people had taken where she had no bruises whatsoever and she'd clearly tried or had somehow doctored the photos that she took Mm. um whereas yeah this woman's just literally smashed herself with a hammer like what the hell yeah it's crazy So the police at last had had enough. They could not allow Ellie Williams to continue lying on a whim, destroying people's lives with impunity any time she felt like it. It was time she paid the price for her actions. When the police confronted Ellie with the overwhelming evidence that her story was a lie, she doubled down and offered to name other girls who were being actively trafficked by Ramzan's gang. She put pen to paper and gave police a list of 60 girls, half of them from Cumbria and the other half from elsewhere, who she said had been pimped out by Ramzan. However, when the police knocked on these girls' doors, they were met with only confused faces. One of the girls who Ellie named later told the media of her confusion at being confronted with the suggestion that she had been groomed and abused along with Ellie, who was in the year above her at school. God, can you imagine? Like, the police turn up and they say, we've had reports of this, and you'd be sat there having your cup of tea or something, just like, what? (laughs) And you'd just be like, absolutely, that did not happen, and I'm not just denying it, it did not happen. And she said, I had the police round out of the blue. They said I was named by Ellie Williams, that I was at these parties in Morecambe and Preston. Not the case at all. It's very weird how she mentioned my name. And I sort of think, 
Yeah, you know, she just also someone that she used to go to school with. That yeah, she that wasn't was in, even friends with. They weren't even in the same year. But I wonder if Elliot had some kind of obsession with her, or had looked at her from afar. The fact that that name would come to her years later, and this woman, who would have been a woman now, uh, must have been thinking, "Why me? Why she picked my name? Was she obsessed with me?" Or you know, I, I barely remember a kind of thing. Yeah, it's just weird, really weird. That would have freaked me out. I think. <laughs> Well, I know mm, it would have done. Yeah. In September 2020, Eleanor Williams was arrested and charged with perverting the course of justice. She was denied bail and remanded in custody. Whilst in prison awaiting her trial, it's understood that she made several unsuccessful suicide attempts, which is incredibly sad. Um, despite what she's done, of course, no one would ever wish anyone to, to feel so low. Fortunately, they were unsuccessful attempts. A forensic psychologist who assessed Ellie while she was on remand diagnosed her with having a complex state of PTSD, likely stemming from a traumatic childhood event. This, according to the psychiatrist, would explain her suicidal tendencies and substance misuse issues, and probably the attention-seeking by saying she'd been raped when she had it. But we don't know, I mean, we don't know if that's true, and we don't know what that traumatic childhood event could have been. You know, we won't speculate, but I'm sure we can all think of different things that it could have been, but I won't speculate. But, you know, maybe, maybe there was something, and that's incredibly sad if she did endure something. But like you said, Bethan, it doesn't excuse this behaviour. Ellie's trial began in late February 2023. The prosecution showed the jury an overwhelming amount of evidence that Ellie had made the whole thing up. There was no doubt in anyone's mind that she was guilty, but innocent lives had been destroyed, and the judge wanted to know why. In her defence, Ellie Williams wrote a short letter that was read out by her defence barrister. In the letter she said, I understand that it's your job to believe the jury's verdict, and that's okay. I know I have made some mistakes. I'm sorry, I know it's no excuse, but I was young and confused. I'm not saying I'm guilty, but I know I have done wrong on some of this, and I'm sorry. I'm devastated at the trouble that has been caused in Barrow. If I knew what consequences would have come from that status, I never would have posted it. This brief letter did Ellie a lot more harm than good in the eyes of the court, even despite all the absolutely overwhelming evidence that had been given against her. Ellie still refused to apologise, still refused to take responsibility and still, according to this letter, saw herself as a victim. There was not a shred of remorse shown on her part, only concern for what would happen to her and a weak, arrogant attempt to get a lenient sentence. Yeah, it's just a, such a pathetic little it is letter, just, isn't know, it? If you're going to try, just, you know, if you're going to sort of do that, do it properly. Don't do a half assed of poor me, but some of this I regret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Waste of time. She's wasted my time and her time. She's wasted my time having to read it out. I know. I'm sorry, Bethan, but what a fantastic <laughs> job you've done. I'm joking. Playing the part of Eleanor Williams. I have enjoyed it. Um, I'm not, not sure that's a good thing. No, I haven't enjoyed it at all. She's a horrible, no. horrible person. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's just such a, I keep using the word pathetic. It's such a pathetic letter. Like, why did her legal team even let her put that through? I, I suppose it's her right, isn't it? And of if, course, if she wanted, yeah. they, they'd probably advise her that this isn't really going to do you any favours. But ultimately, if she wants it submitted, then it's submitted. But the letter just riled up the judge and won her absolutely no favours from the jury. On the 14th of March in 2023, Ellie Williams was unanimously found guilty of eight counts of perverting the course of justice. And she was given a pretty hefty jail sentence of eight and a half years. 
In sentencing, the judge accepted that Ellie Williams was mentally ill and recognised the probability that this was likely a huge contributor for her actions, but the judge refused to allow her illness to absolve her from taking responsibility. He went on to say, Of course I've considered whether the abhorrent nature of these offences means that I should assume that the defendant is suffering from some mental impairment, but there is no explanation for why the defendant would commit these offences. She has gone to extraordinary lengths to create false accusations, including causing herself significant injury. No explanation for this behaviour is apparent. However, that does not mean that I should speculate. Unless and until the defendant chooses to say why she has told these lies, we will not know. And I mean, maybe maybe Ellie will mm. um, open up, maybe upon release. And I mean, I don't know, you'd think maybe she'll go and just live a quiet life, but maybe she will learn the error of her ways while she's in prison being punished and and part of her... I don't know, absolving herself of some of the guilt or whatever will be her kind of saying, look, this is why I did it. And actually there's more context to this, but equally it could just be that she's an evil person. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And really, if she does decide to say anything, is she just going to end up doing something else like that where she's like, here's why I I did it and feel sorry for me again. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if she ever does decide to say anything. The victims of Ellie's campaign of cruel lies welcomed the verdict and punishment. Mohammed Ramzan later explained to the media exactly what he'd been through because of Ellie's lies. And this is quite a lengthy statement from him, but I wanted to include it all because it's quite impactful. He said, I was getting lots of death threats and I was in and out of the police station for 11 months. I watched as my friends deleted me from social media. Me and my wife used to be really sociable. We'd go to restaurants three, four times a week and out to bars. Before all this, I was larger than life, but then I started noticing no one wanted to talk to me. I became an introvert and started hating people. I had to close my businesses. I started believing every single white person was racist, and that is not how I am at all. I am British Pakistani, British first with Pakistani heritage, and we were always brought up to be interracial, to mix with the entire community. I wouldn't let my older son go to parties in case people made false accusations about him. My kids couldn't go to nightclubs or hang around with English people. I couldn't work and I became a conspiracist. I fitted CCTV around my home and I would sit awake at night watching the cameras to keep my family safe. I had dash cams fitted to all the vehicles, baseball bats and fire extinguishers in every room of the house. It scared me because there are some really unhinged racists. That's just no way to live. That is awful. It's it's a living nightmare for him for those those 11 months or so. He went on to say, I had mad thoughts going through my head, but then I'd have words with myself. I thought, what kind of life is destined for me? No money, living off handouts from my family. What kind of man can't support his family? Ramzan then detailed how he tried to end his life out of despair when the situation became too unbearable for him. Ellie's other victims, Jordan Trengove, Cameron Bibby and Oliver Gardner, all had to relocate following the ordeal and continue to live in fear. The stress eventually caught up with all of them. Jordan Trengove attempted suicide and Oliver Gardner was sectioned under the Mental Health Act after suffering a stress-related mental breakdown. I mean, this is serious shit. You've got two of her victims here who have attempted to take their own lives. You've got someone who's been fucking sectioned under the Mental Health Act because they've had a horrific breakdown. It's, you know, not to mention all the other stuff that Mohammed Ramzan, for example, details about losing his livelihood and his pride at providing for his family. 
just the consequences are just oh, they're so far reaching in this. Eleanor Williams remains in prison. It's understood that she is receiving psychological support and she will be eligible for parole in 2027, so not that long now. Um, thank you for listening. It's um, quite a different case for us. I think it's the first case where we have featured false allegations being made and that person being brought to book over it. So I don't please know, do- Jesse Smollett... That case not long ago, actually. Completely forgot not about that. Ago. It's like four episodes ago. Fuck, yeah. yeah. But eight and a half years, I'd be really interested to hear what our listeners think um, of that sentence. Because of the fact that, yeah, parole potentially in 2027 is just not that far away. I think all you can hope for is that she is receiving support because she deserves that. No one doesn't deserve that level of support if they're mentally ill whatever the circumstances, wherever they are, whatever they've done. So um, hopefully she is receiving some good support and will get better. And it doesn't excuse what she did, but I'm just kind of being optimistic that she won't do this again when she's released Mm. uh, because it was an almost compulsive behaviour on her part, one that she wasn't in control of. Yeah, and I think I said recently we have to put our faith that rehabilitation will work because otherwise what's the point of the legal system? So we have to kind of hope and put our trust in that. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Let us know your thoughts. You can get in touch with us in all the usual ways. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, uh, we're on threads as well. And you can also uh, head to our website, which is seeingredpodcast.co.uk and email us, there's a link on there. Um, uh, by otherwise... the way, guys, sorry, Mark was wrong there. It's www.seeingwebpodcast.co.uk. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, and yeah, if you're able to support us on Patreon, just head over to patreon.com slash seeingwebpodcast. We've got over 40 bonus episodes for you there, as well as our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Crime Wave, in which we discuss topical true crime stories making the news. This was one of them earlier this year. Um, so yeah, do uh, check that out. Patreon.com slash scene web podcast. Otherwise, we will see you next week for another case. We'll see you then. Thanks Bye. for joining us, guys. Bye.